Great introduction. Well, I will be the panel moderator. And apparently, I speak into the mic, but it doesn't magnify. So if, if we aren't talking loud enough, do the old ear thing, okay? And please do the left ear because I'm deaf in the right and it's just insulting. Okay? It hurts my feelings. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm Gabriel Wrench. I serve as a deacon at Christ Church. I'm also the host of Cross Politic. I'll also do, introduce our, our panel real quick. Um, before we get started, uh, Rachel Jankovic, if you guys know Rachel, she's an author, mother, of, and all sorts of other things. Uh, host of What Have You. She's host of What Have You podcast. And then, of course, Pastor Toby Sumter. He's associate pastor here at Christ Church. Also host with me at CrossPolitik. And uh, both me and Toby, um, I don't know if I can claim this with Toby together. This might be a little insulting. But we both went through Greyfriars Hall. Toby finished. I didn't. And uh, that's the insulting part for Greyfriars so let's, let's go ahead and pray, and then, and then we'll get started, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness towards us. Thank you for all um, present here. We pray that you just bless this conference and our time, and especially our words on this panel tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I, I got just a, uh, three minutes of kind of uh, teeing off the conversation, and then largely going to hand it over to Rachel and Toby for the, for the conversation. So uh, the topic tonight is... Um, talking about cultural pressures. And so I, I figured I'd just take a couple minutes um, by mapping out where we get this idea, where we get cultural pressures from in the first place. Uh, it's no secret we as individuals, we're individuals, and when individuals come together, what do we do? We form, we form society. And, and when we form society, what, what crops up out of society? Well, we get, we get cultural norms that begin to, to, to set in. And so as the society kind of settles over the long run, cultural norms begin to set in. And, and, and these are kind of like behavioral codes, ways of, of behaving around one another and kind of even unspoken at some point. Uh, and I think it, it's helpful to think of uh, society as the house. So society is kind of the, the structure, right? You, you know, we got, we got a mayor, we got red light, green lights in town. We got, we got kind of this societal structures in town. Soci society is the house the concrete, the, uh, the concrete customs that we can all kind of identify. And then you think of, you know, the, the culture, cultural expectations as kind of the table manners that we, um, you know, we all sit around the table. We all pass to the right or to the left at my table. I don't know what, which way we pass at my table, actually, not, now that I think about it. Um, and and they're, they're kind of largely accepted norms and behaviors that, 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 that we all kind of just, just are part of. These norms and behaviors can be, you know, negative or positive. We're talking about cultural pressures tonight. These norms or behaviors can, can be negative or positive. You, you think of, is it, is it a positive thing that I feel like an idiot if I blather in public over and over again? That, that, that pressure there is it's, it's positive. It, it creates certain behavioral expectations. That's why I bring that up because it's a real thing for me, right? Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so, you know, cultural pressures can be negative. Or, or positive. Um, and then let me kind of add another, uh, another layer to this. What are, what are cultural pressures? Um, let me define this a little further. Cultural pressures are the unspoken or, or even spoken customs and norms that create a certain telos for interacting in a society. So actually, there's actually a, a certain direction that these unspoken cultural norms are, are pushing us all towards. Um, I think that's a really important aspect of how to think about cultural pressures because they have a direction. They have an end goal for you as you kind of 
you know, fill these certain pressures. So for, you know, me to speak up against homosexuality in public, that's a, a, a cultural taboo. There's an end goal for, for that taboo. So here's the big idea um, before I move on here. Here's the big idea I want to draw your attention to is that these cultural pressures are kind of a cumulative result of individuals and how we act, interact in a society. And, and they aren't just some magical force. So these cultural pressures actually come from individuals, not, not just a, a magical blob that's out there and we're wondering why is everyone doing it this way? Well, it's actually because it's coming from individuals and how we interact with one another. Um, I wanna connect this to identity real quick because I think a lot of this has to do with identity. So when you, when you don't know what true identity is, culture will be shaped by anything. So if we don't know if we're created in the image of God or, and we're just this you know, big mass of, of stardust, well, then we have infinite um, uh, opportunity to define whatever we want. And then as individuals, if we define whatever we want as individuals, then we have an infinite opportunity to create cultural pressures and however we want. And then, of course, those cultural pressures and norms shift over time, and, and no one knows either why they shift or no one knows where they're going to be progressing towards. What's the end result? What's the final cultural um, expectation at the end of this whole, whole game? We don't know. It's, it's infinite. So if we aren't anchored, if our image is not anchored in the identity of who God has defined us as made in, made in his image, then we have infinite um, opportunity to define whatever those cultural norms will, can end up being. So this applies right now to our current culture. Individually, we're a mess. And so if individually, as a nation, individually, as, as individuals, we're, we're a mess, then our cultural, uh, what bubbles up in the culture is going to be a mess. So it should be no surprise that uh, what's going on in our culture is actually connected back, back to who we are. One last point before I get into it with Rachel and Toby. Uh, we have to connect this to the church. The reason why I think this topic is so important is because the church has become so culturally irrelevant, right? The church spent the last three decades trying to be relevant in their worship, trying to be relevant in their secret friendliness, trying to, everything the church did was all about, all in the name of relevance, trying to be relevant to a culture. And what has happened is the church has actually become vastly irrelevant. And so the church has no um, impact on cultural pressures cultural norms and just has no impact in, in total on our, on our whole culture. And so um, we need to connect this back to the pulpit, what's going on in the church, um, because the church can't even speak into cultural pressures anymore. So, so we've been maneuvered by culture, and it's, and it's, and it's no surprise 10 years later, we like, we're, we're like, what, what has happened? How did we get to the point where, you know, homosexual marriage is accepted in society, 2015 Obergefell. How do we get to the point, you know, as months after Obergefell happened, transgenderism is now a, a thing. We have to accept the fact that a man wants to be a woman. We're in Moscow, Idaho, and Gritman Hospital is the Northwest, the, the, the Northwest destination point for transgendered surgeries right here in Moscow, Idaho. How did we get to this point where doctors have no problem doing this? And then the culture is supposed to just accept the fact that a man wants to become a woman and, and so forth. Well, it, it connects back to the church. So, of course, as I said at the very beginning, cultural pressures, there's, there's positive aspects to it, but really the big problem we need to be discussing and figuring out and sorting through tonight is the negative aspects of cultural pressure. That's, 
that's what we're dealing with. And when you guys go into the workplace, you immediately know if I go in and say I'm a Christian and you work for T-Mobile, then you could not get a raise. You could be fired or, what, or, or whatever the case may be. I have a friend who's high up at T-Mobile right now. And he knows, he says, I think people know that I'm a Christian there. But if, if everyone knew I was a Christian when I started out, I would never be at the position where I'm at now. So that's the reality of what these cultural pressures mean practically to you guys as you guys go in the workplace. Okay? All right. So with that said, with that context there, I'm, I'm going to start with Rachel first and then pass the mic over to Toby. And then um, what, what are the big cultural pressures that women need to see and be thinking through and, and resisting? All of them. Just keep them all in mind. Um, I would say the probably the biggest one is just it's just an outworking of evolution versus creation. Because fundamentally, if you're a Christian, you believe that God created you with a purpose. He knew what he was doing. He did it intentionally. And we have to respect his word on what he wants us doing and what we're for. Um, and because, Gabe, you said that the culture can be shaped by anything when you're not... Um, can't remember how you phrase that, whatever. But, but the thing I was going to say is I think it's always shaped in the image of what you're worshiping. It's shaped by your God. And so it's not that we're just vacant. There is, there is a God in there. And there's a lot of other, there's, I would say it's the will of the people, which is just like any individual person, horribly petty uh, and fickle and changing its moods all the time and just un, really hard to deal with. Um, but I think that for women, it is uniquely our, just our biology, the fact of childbearing, the fact of um, the fact that women need men to protect them. These things fly in the face of the modern religion, which is that we can be self-created. Our biology is a direct, like a feminine biology is a direct insult uh, to their God. And it's honoring to our God right? When we embrace how he made us and what this is for, we are, we are revering our God as our creator. And we're saying, yeah, this is, this is who I am. And that's a good thing. This is not a, a, a bad thing that I have these constraints, but the idea, this desire, our culture wants to erase all things that point to our maker, right? They want to erase anything um, that is like that. I remember a lot years ago, a big push in feminist circles. This was a feminist rabbit hole. I went down I don't recommend you go there, uh, was all about women cannot be equal to men until we finally have urinals in the women's bathrooms. You're like, is that really a movement? Like, who cares about that? And, but the reason is because they see every difference as an insult. You know, everything is, is sort of blasphemy of our, our ability to create who we want to be, you know, to, to just override your, your biology, the things, the strengths that God has given women. They don't want, not because they're not strong, they, they don't want it because it's clearly from God. It's, it's uh, like a creation of new life. Like, how could that be lowbrow work? You know, when you think like, no, that's, that's actually amazing. It's just points so directly to our maker that it is like blasphemy. It's a thing that they don't want to hear about. Um, so I would say the biggest cultural pressures is really being willing to say the thing that you think will make you seem like a backwoods, you know, I believe God created the earth in six days. That's what I think. And that's why I think I have purpose and why I can know because I can see in his word what he called me to. And that's the thing. I mean, nobody wants to respect that, but that's where a Christian has to stand is on that really fundamental level. So I'd say that through that 
when most other social pressures are really resisted because you're saying my, who I am is anchored in what God says he made me. And this is what he said. That's who I am. Period. Uh, um, it's funny to pass a mic that isn't actually amplifying. <laughs> you. I, I feel, I feel like I'm pretending. Yeah, we're playing. This is, this is really fun. Um, the, um, riffing off of what Rachel just said, the, I mean, that's, that is the reason why abortion is the sacrament of um, pagans, uh, the, all who hate God. And it's, it's a sacrament because um, it's the place where uh, women and feminists are insisting this makes us equal to men. Um, we too can live however we want and we do not need to bear children. Um, so, do you want me to talk about men, though? Yeah. Okay. I was, I, I was just going to run. <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, one thing uh, is in order to actually um, feel cultural pressures, you have to have an anchor. You have to be anchored to feel the pressure. Um, so, if you're just floating down a river, you are just floating down the river. So it's when you let the anchor down and you stop that you actually feel the pressures coming against you. And so this goes to what Rachel was just saying a second ago. I, I, and I said something like this, I think last year, those of you that were here at the conference last year, um, I talked a little bit about Daniel um, walking into Babylon. And the first thing he does, you know, seven verses in, is says, sorry, I can't eat the food. And, and it, it's like, really? I mean, Daniel. And, and you, actually, you actually look at it and, 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 the, and, I, and people try to trump it up to being this really big deal. And, and you know, the food was unclean or something like this. But, in, you know, we, we walked through this last year and you can grab the talk. But I think, in fact, it looks to me like Daniel decided he was going to be different. Like it really came down to that. Like the food wasn't defiled. You can drink wine. Jews can drink wine. There's nothing wrong with wine. Um, and it was, the, it was Daniel basically saying, look, I know you're going to feed me and you're going to take care of me, but I want it to be clear from the outset um, that um, I'm going to serve my God. And so I think it's really important that if you want to, first of all, you have to feel the pressure. You got to figure out where the pressures are. And that means throw the anchor over and say something like God created the world in six days. Um, nope. Only two sexes, just male and female. That's it. And you can't change them. Um, but I think you, you want to start um, uh, early and often identify yourself as a Christian um, and don't be like the T-Mobile guy who says, um, oh no, here I am at the top of the company now. And if anybody finds out, I might be screwed. Um, that's, that's awful. That, that's a great recipe for just compromise. Um, I think for men in particular, um, our, our temptations are towards um, uh, power and pleasure and in particular um, and those are where we're tempted to compromise um, and that's why I, I, there's a temptation I'll fly under the radar in order to get the promotion and then we promise ourselves we will use the power we get to do great good and what you've just done though is you've just practiced not using power wisely <laughs> so why is it that after you've done that 10 times you would suddenly grow a backbone and no, you've just bowed to the God, a, a, a pagan God of power, rather than the Christian God of power. The Christian God of power is the one you just heard about, 
um, from Pastor Hatcher, who raises the dead. That's how you know it's from God, because he gave it back to you from the dead. You have no business having this position. Oh, this must be from God. This promotion, they, but I told them that I believed in Jesus and that I thought homosexuality was a sin, and they promoted me. That's from God. That's the kind of power you can take and say, okay, this is from God, I can use this. Um, but if you had to hide anything or um, fudge anything about who you are in Christ, uh, you were giving a pinch of incense to a pagan deity to get that spot or that position or to avoid the pain. Um, and the other is, uh, you know, related to pleasure would just be, um, you know, Esau sold his birthright for food and you, I mean, you'd be surprised what men will do for food. Um, but maybe, it, 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 <laughs> but, but we get really hungry and stupid <laughs> and then really stupid. Um, but, but food and sex and pleasure, I mean, these are, you know, the, the nice house, the nice car, and you think, oh, you just do the math and you think, but I, if I don't say anything right now, I might get that raise, I can get the car. I don't say anything right now, I get the raise, I do this. And it's like, I mean, we do that kind of math and you're like, and then I get the girl. And then I, you know, then this. And, and again, you're, you're doing obeisance at a pagan altar in that case, rather than trusting God, who is the one who invented this world, who invented all of the best stuff, who gives it freely, generously, and who runs the world. He's the God of all power. And so if we really believe that, um, then we, we have to walk faithfully with him no matter what. And if it means lion's den or, or fiery furnace or getting fired, well, suck it up. Um, Rachel, it seems like we're back in the garden again and all the cultural pressure is um, targeting women um, at the, at the tree. Um, all the, uh, all the cultural pressure around identity uh, and around, um, uh, you know, it's attacking the, 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 the tree Satan's right there and it's, and, and it's attacking women and men are, of course, their sin is watching. Um, what maybe, maybe kind of flesh that out a little more, describe where women are being attacked with these, with these cultural pressures and what specifically, how should women specifically be responding to, um, you know, Satan's attack? Okay. Um, Okay, I do think, I've said this before, I don't think that Christian men actually know to what extent women are being lied to all the time. And I think part of that is because um, I think women are naturally more talkative, more wanting to know how people are doing, wanting to encourage people. Uh, what, who dominates Pinterest? It's women, you know, who's, who's pinning cute sayings and, and who was most affected by cute lettering and bad and bad quotes you know like it's not it's not the men covering their office walls with you're so beautiful you know they're I, they're not typically doing that but i think for women i i don't know i have a theory but it seems like if you are a woman today you could be getting lies in your probably in your regular email i have lots of people message me things that they get in there i don't know it's it's a clothing company that's sending you a how to feel about who you are email um, friends are probably passing on lies to you. You go look up a recipe for something and it will first give you a big talk about how to get rid of all the toxicity in your life and what, like everywhere you are, you go to the gym, there's posters to you. You go to a, to the makeup aisle, they're telling you who you are, what you're for. Like 
all over the place women are being lied to. And, and we know in scripture that women are gullible, right? This is, this is a thing that women are called out for specifically in scripture because they, they can be led astray because they're gullible. But I think that there's something else that has to be pointed out, which is, um, I think that when no fault divorce first became a thing, it, it has, it's, when was that the sixties? That, that happened that has done a ton to tear up the the household as as a societal force and having done i think probably as much damage as it can do i just think the enemy has moved on to now let's prevent godly households from ever starting you know how can we how can we keep this from ever getting off the ground and the women are very very strategic for that uh, because you're the just the natural role of women in the world is that women demand more of men. If you if we embrace our biology, you're like you demand a lot more. If a man has to provide a house for you and care for your children and do all of this, that's a much higher bar, right? Than what all of the college students here are advocating in their lifestyle all the time. Um, but the thing that I think in Proverbs is that an immoral woman, like if you're the enemy, if you can get the women to be immoral, what do they do? And it's, they lead the men to hell, right? If you can corrupt the women, what do they do? They destroy everyone, right? It's not just the women that go down in immorality. That's in Proverbs. It says that, that it is, it's the fool, the simpleton. It's not the, it's not necessarily a wicked strategizing man, it's an immoral woman, can lead a simple or foolish man to hell, right? Just that's how they do it. And so I think it is a different way to prevent godly households from starting uh, and also to, to just destroy everyone. You know, it's a, it is a really effective method if you go after the women. So I would say Christian women need to be really aware of that. And even when it is really uncomfortable to hold, keep your standards the way they should be and do all of these things, you have to be really aware that you're being assaulted by this because you're strategic, right? Like this is a vulnerable place and Christian women need for the, uh, for the health of the whole church need to be strong on this. And they need uh, to really understand that this is not a place that doesn't matter. Like single women are a target for a reason because it's a strategic target. And it is a place that can take a great many people away um, from the church, away from their faith. It's, it is a really um, important place that we not give in to society on that. You mean to say something about that? Question. I'll lead, lead you into it. I'll lead you into it. Um, yeah. I, with the, I need the fake mic to say. I, I, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, no, but as you were talking about all the lies that, that women are being told and the fact that men don't usually aren't faced with, I think you're absolutely right. And I was, uh, it reminded me for some strange reason of the fact that I was playing Scrabble with my family recently. And in the Scrabble rules, there was a word of encouragement that says, remember that you will make mistakes. Everybody fails sometimes. And don't stay down on yourself too long. And I, and I just couldn't, like, I couldn't. I couldn't even. You couldn't even adult today, I, I, I couldn't even. I, 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 like, I couldn't start playing the game because I was like, what, who are you? <laughs> like, Hasbro or whatever, whoever made this stupid game, like, you're... You're giving me like mothering tips now. 
I think maybe that's part of the reason why they don't preach at us so much because like that's the kind of response they get from like who do you think you are <laughs> I bought you to play Scrabble and, and you know what's so sad is women it's just a total lie a total cheap thing like yeah. that like who is the Scrabble personality anyways encouraging me and then on the internet you'll see women hundreds and hundreds of comments of oh, I needed this today like <laughs> Why did you need that today? I mean, like, it's, there's nothing there. That, that's great. Um, yeah. Yep. You, you messed up my last three questions. So, yeah, we covered, we covered it. The Scrabble story. So, um, Toby, you know, kind of back to the garden analogy, the men are sit, either sitting back or, like Rachel said, our, um, you know, Proverbs says that men who are given over to a moral woman are reduced to a crust of bread. So, you kind of have, a, you know, this this dynamic of men sitting back and then being reduced to a crust of bread in our culture. Um, you know, maybe kind of address that in relationship to, to men standing up against cultural pressures and, you know, by abdication leading us to where we're at. Yeah. So I, um, I think that the Bible teaches that the glory of men is their strength. And that means that, um, our job and where we shine is when we are strong for those around us. Um, which means that the whole idea is that you're going to be given things that are too hard. And so every time you make an excuse or whine or complain or fuss or walk away from something hard, you are, you are in some way, um, you're compromising your glory, what you were made for, what you were, um, I, I was, we just got, I, I've got vacation stories on my mind because we just got back from vacation. But, you know, in our, on our vacation, my, my teenage son is the, uh, the DJ. And so he's working his way through all of his Spotify playlists for me so that I can get caught up on all the things that he's listening to. Mostly pretty good. But, um, but we, 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 we were talking about this one song. I don't even remember it. You know, it's, it's got a cool beat. I mean, I give him that. But the guy is basically talking about um, he, he says it's too hard. It's things have gotten too hard. And so now he's going to leave. He thinks she'll be, she'll be happier that way. Um, and he's now he's leaving. Some of you guys are nodding like, Oh, I know that song, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's all the songs <laughs> actually. Um, but, um, but I was, I was like, I was saying like, but he's actually being a wuss. He's actually being the coward right now because he's, he's saying, he's just a passive aggressive thing. It's like, okay, I'll make you happier. So I'll leave. You know, isn't that making you, you know, no, you coward, right? You started this thing, right? Um, being the man means staying there when it's hard, right? Now it's in a relationship, but it's it applied across the board um, at the job. I mean, until God sets you, says, no, you're fired, go do something else. Then you stay there. Unless, unless the, the door, another door and God clearly directs you somewhere else, you stay, you say, but it's hurting right now. Good. It's hard right now. Good. It's great. That's what you're for, right? Nobody goes to the gym and, you know, like gets a personal trainer and says, can you make it not hurt? Well, I mean, if you do that, you're an idiot, right? Like you're wasting money and time. The whole idea is they're going to hurt you, Right? And that's, that's what you're paying them to do is hurt you. Why? So you'll get stronger so they can hurt you again. So that you can get stronger, right? And so on. That's the, that's the point. That's what you're made for. And Rachel said a minute ago that um, 
the way that God's designed the world is that uh, women demand a lot of men. And this is you know, marriage and, and family. This is the way God designed it. And this is the way it works in, in society in general. Um, and that's your glory, is to say, that's what I'm for. Yes, I can carry the groceries. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I'd be happy to help with that. Not fussing, not whining, not complaining. And so um, Adam, you know, wherever he was, while, Adam, while Eve was being tempted, um, we, we don't know. Um, but absolutely abdicated. Um, absolutely, uh, um, it, it's uh, Milton in Paradise Lost speculates that Adam despaired. That, that, so his wife was dead, so I'm going to die with her. Sort of a Romeo and Juliet kind of, I don't know, thing. Um, uh, and and maybe, maybe so. Um, but it was totally a wimpy thing for him to do, if, that's what he, if that was the reason. It was t- totally a cowardly thing to do. Um, but, he, but what we like to do, but men like to pick a lesser sacrifice because we know that we're called to sacrifice, but it's the lesser one, right? And so you, you take, you pull the victim card and you say, well, it was so hard. She was so difficult. It was so hard. The job was hard. They didn't understand me. Rather than going all the way to the cross, we fall about halfway there and, you know, try to, you know, we, we, we do a soccer flop right? Um, and we hope that that will be our glory. But it's not real glory because you didn't go all the way to the cross. And so, um, and so what you want to do is you want to be thinking, okay, I want to give my strength away. I want to suffer and die. And I want to go all the way to whatever cross the Lord has for me, my work, my relationships, and my family. And I want to bear it gladly, joyfully, um, and, um, and embrace it. And um, what Adam, you know, Adam should have, what should have Adam done? when his wife ate the fruit. Well, he should have led his wife back to God and said, let me die in her place. Let me die instead of her. We know that's what Adam should have done because it's what Jesus did. Right? And so he didn't, instead of taking the cheap exit, the cheap sacrifice, okay, I'm going to die with her. Um, he should have taken the full sacrifice. Let me die for her. And so your job as men is to figure out you know, where, where are the people who are hurting around you? Where are the weak? Where are the suffering? Where are the people who need um, a, a godly, strong man? Where, do, where can you serve? Where can you give? And probably it's going to be the place that hurts the most. Um, and do it gladly. Do it joyfully. And trust the Lord to raise you up. I want to say Please. something. Okay, I just want to add this, that what Toby was saying about being sacrificial is that I think it's really important for women to recognize that oftentimes in marriage and in relationships, the most absolutely self-sacrificing thing a man could do is to stand up to you and tell you no about something. And that it is commonplace in Christian circles for women to think he's not laying down his life for me if he says no to me. And it is absolutely walking into the buzzsaw for a man to say, no to a to a woman right like it absolutely is it is a way of throwing yourself on a grenade but it is a it is a reason that so many women are so unhappy is there is not a man who will say no to them and there is not a man who will say you know what your attitude is really poor like fix it 
right? That like, and I'm saying that Lord willing, that's what your husband will always be to you is someone who does not put up with that kind of thing from you that doesn't put up with sin. But I think it's so common in Christian circles to emphasize that the man should be self-sacrificial, that it's this idea that if your wife is being domineering or, or horrific in some way, or your girlfriend or whatever, that your job is to do whatever she told you, even when it hurts. And no, your job is to do what hurts even worse and tell her, that's not how this is going. <laughs> Just putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of stories come to mind. Um, so two more questions and then we'll open up for, for a little Q&A, right, Abby? Okay. Two, two more questions. We'll open up for a little Q&A. Um, Rachel, how would, particularly, how would you counsel an unmarried single woman who just graduated from college in our current culture and thinking about going into the workforce? How would you counsel her? Okay. So the first thing I would say, because it's one of my favorite things to tell everyone is that you need to be reading your Bible and you need to be doing that all the time. It's not the kind of thing that you can back burner um, if you really think about how much are you reading in a day, how much are you intaking in a day, it's a ton. If you have a, you have a smartphone, <laughs> how many thousands of words have you read of, of things that don't matter at all to you today? A lot, like a lot of people have. Um, and this is, it is the means that God has provided to continue to draw our attention to things, to refine us, to have the Holy Spirit in our life. So oftentimes people will be like, I don't know what to do in my life. I don't feel any... You know, I have no, no idea what God has for me. And it's like, well, are you, are you actively pursuing God uh, in such a way that you would know his, you would know his voice, you would know his leadership in things, because that is what the Bible does for you, right? You, you open it up, a, a, a passage you've read a thousand times jumps out at you like it was just for this moment, for today, for rebuke, for correction, whatever it is, it is, it is the word is your most, when Toby was talking about an anchor, that is your primary anchor as a Christian should be, you know, however difficult your life is, if you are in the word, you will be growing and thriving in Christ. Like, and that's what you need to be pursuing totally. Uh, and I would say second to that, being anchored in the word, don't be afraid of the fact um, that you have to, I think that a lot of Christian girls, there is an uncomfortable phase of life where you wish you were married, but there is no one there who is actively pursuing you. And that is a very hard thing to bear. It is socially awkward, right? You don't want to go around saying, I wish there was a guy who was godly that I liked. I mean, you don't want to say that, but you have to understand that you can't just sort of say, well, I'll just go along with our culture until a good guy shows up so that I won't feel so awkward and I won't be standing against things and I won't be having to say, well, yeah, I'd like to be a mom. Great. Had to say that out loud to all these people. There was a phase in my own life where I told people I wanted to be a shepherd because they'd always say, what do you want to do when you're out of college? And I'd be like, going to be a shepherd. I mean, like, I'm like, what am I going to do? I mean, of course, of course, Lord willing, I want to have a family and I want, but I don't want to tell this random stranger that just looking for a man thinks that's what I'm doing. Um, 
And, and I, and I'm just saying, I understand, I understand the fact that you don't want to do that, but you need to be very careful in your own heart that you're not looking to the world for comfort in that awkward moment, because the world is full of things that they're trying to smooth over how uncomfortable that is for women. Women are not happy who are the sex in the city lifestyle. No one is happy who is doing that, you know, but the world is nonstop working on the propaganda to make us all think that this is the path to happiness. And so this idea of like, well, when a godly man shows up, then all of a sudden I'll, I will be willing to say out loud that I think a wife should submit to her husband. And I think this should, you know, then I'll do it. You really have to just commit to that. I'm not saying you have to go tell everyone that all the time, but you need to be clear in your own mind that you're not living by the world's ideas until a godly man comes along. You have to be living um, by the word and all the way until whatever God has for you next, which you will be more equipped for uh, if you are in the word. Same, same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was really good. The, um, the other thing uh, um, I was thinking about is, and it, it kind of riffs off what Rachel's saying, is that um, I, there's uh, all, the, all the gender bending stuff or just the um, unisex sort of thing, like everything is unisex. You know, everything is, you know, uh, doesn't, it, it's not gender specific because that's hateful and bigoted apparently. Um, wh what you wanna be um, going into um, your vocations as, is as men and women. Because that, that's where your image, you, you bear the image of God as a man, as a male, um, as a female, as a woman. And so you want to think of it like that. So as, as you go into the workplace, as you go into your vocations um, and, and so on, do that. And, and then what I would say is it's directly connected to what Rachel was just saying, though. But that means, though, that you want to understand that um, the whole point of um, or, or not the whole point, but an enormous, a significant part point, a part of the point of working. Fair, fair point. <laughs> a big part of it is that you are working for and towards building a home, building a family. So back to what Rachel said earlier, the whole, the, the, the attack on, uh, on, on women, the attack, I mean, the, the whole sexuality, sexual revolution has been to tear down the family, to destroy the family, to destroy um, the family unit. And, um, and part of the way they've done that, too, is to try to make you think that you can find an identity in what you do in terms of your vocation. Uh, you know, you know who, are, who are you? I'm an optometrist. You know, I'm an engineer. I'm an architect. And of course, what you do is significant. But one of the, the reasons why our work is so satisfying is because you're working for someone, not, not your boss. <laughs> you're working to put food on the table for your wife and for your kids. You're working uh, to make a home. You're working to educate your children. You're working to leave an inheritance to your grandchildren. Um, that's what makes working so meaningful. The, the, the work itself is, is meaningful and you work as unto the Lord. Um, but that means that as you work you're, and you go into the workplaces and the workforces as men and women, think of it also in terms of, um, I'm, I'm doing this um, because I wanna build a house as a man, which means I want to be, I'm, I'm building this so I can provide for my wife. I, I want to build a house as a woman. I want to be uh, someone who is making a home for my husband and for my children. 
Um, so it should be um, mask in a biblical way, masculine shaped and feminine shaped, which means it's got to be oriented to a home that you're in the process of you're preparing to build, you're getting um, supplies together to build, um, you're trusting the Lord that he's going to at one point give you the, the opportunity to build it and begin laying foundation stones and so on. But think like a Christian that way. Um, don't be sucked into, uh, uh, for men or women, I have a career. Actually, a career orientation is just kind of pagan, actually. Um, even for men. Um, it, yeah, yeah you, you have a job to go out and do things, and it's to be a, um, a, to the Lord, and it's to be a blessing to the world. Um, but that's not where your identity is. It's not what makes you a man or what makes you a woman or makes you meaningful. Um, or worthwhile. I want to say one thing that many, many moons ago, we had a church dinner um, and whoever was emceeing at the time said, I don't know, they were doing one of those things like who's been here more than 10 years, you know, that kind of thing, stand up. And they said, let's have all the singles stand up. <laughs> you guys are all thinking this is a great idea, isn't it? It was one guy over there and my sister, Becca. <laughs> How... How awkward is that? And it wasn't Ben. So, you know, you know, you know, it, it was a bad, it was a bad pairing at the outset. Sort of like, oh, anyways, when, when Becca stood up, my dad yelled, she's not single. She's a daughter. And I want to just say that in all of the emphasis of the Christian home, that all of you are part of a Christian home. If you're a single woman and you have your own apartment that you are making beautiful to the glory of God, that you are doing hospitality there, you're not single. You're a daughter. You're a daughter of your heavenly father, and you're not out there on your own, untethered, unconnected to other things. And so it is important that what you do in your own homes as a single woman is a reflection of that relationship. It is a reflection of the fact that you are very tied in to the people of God. You're not a lone ranger or a free agent among the people of God, but that you were a daughter. Um, and so just in that emphasis of how important it is in role relationships, my mom will often tell unmarried women like, yeah, pursue your work and make your money so that you can use it to make a home and make a home, whether the Lord has filled it up yet or not, use your job to make a home and to, and to honor God and what he has called you to. You weren't, I was going to point it out, but you weren't really using it. You weren't you even doing a good job faking using the mic. <laughs> she's saying though is, is don't 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 spend all your money on toys that are not geared towards building a house all right what are you what are you for right, you're for building a house so as you work and as god blesses you don't 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 just buy toys bigger and better toys now you can buy toys but um but if it's all motorcycles and video games and speedboats, and I'm going to take another trip wherever. Um, again, nothing evil or sinful about any one of those things in particular, but what are you building? What are you saving up to build? What are you starting to build? Um, is Mark Lamar right at the church dinner? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would have said that. That's a, that's a total Mark question. Um, uh, let's open it up for a couple questions. And if none of you have questions, I got some closing comments. Any questions? Nobody's even asking about the story. Go ahead.
So let me repeat the question real quick and then give you the mic. So can, can, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it's, I'm trying to be kind to those who are going to be listening. Yeah, that's my job, right? <laughs> um, so the question is, can you elaborate on uh, what it means to build a home, not just the, the physical aspects of building a home, but what more than, more than that, what does it mean to build a home? Okay, so I would say that um, Beck and I were just talking about this today, and it is that over time, things that have happened in our culture, people view their homes, their houses, sort of like it's like a garage for people. It's like where you go park overnight, you know, you just, it's for relaxation and for vegging out. Like probably it would be a huge cushy chair and a big TV. You know, you're not planning to have people over. You're not planning, you know, that's, and fundamentally that's not the picture of a Christian home, right? So the idea of is your homemaking, even if it's just in your apartment, the idea is that you want it to be glorifying God. It's not about just it's not just about serving you. You want to be able to equip to serve others. Um, I would think for, for women, think in terms of hospitality, get good at, at making good food, at making your home an inviting place to be, um, making it beautiful, pursuing things that you can learn to do that, that give you joy, that glorify God, and that beautify your home. These are, these are abilities and desires that God has given women. And, it's, and it is not... Uh, petty that we pursue them and that we, and that we want to know how to use those um, for his, for his glory. So I would say it's more than just like vacuuming once a week or whatever you're doing. You know, it's not just housekeeping, it's homemaking, um, using, reflecting the creator God as we, with a smaller C creator, as we create beauty and order and things that delight us around us and things that we can share with other people. Yeah, back there. Let me, <laughs> let me see if I can summarize that real quick for the mic. Um, so when you're in the workplace and all the workforce dynamics that happen in our current culture with both men and women, women in leadership roles, men in leadership roles, vice versa, um, uh, how do you think about that as a, as a Christian and how do you counsel men and women in that process? This is mine. <laughs> yeah, good question. I would say, um, yeah, so um, you given the way that the workforce has developed, I mean, there's, these are questions that people who are in the, in the, um, uh, what do you call them? Oh man, my brain's dead. No, the, uh, the trenches, oh, you know, you know, the trenches, you know, it's, it's that time of night for me. Um, trenches, if you're in the trenches, you, you need thoughtful Christians talking about this. So first of all, I would just say it's a little bit not being in a corporate world, not being in a corporate position, there's some dynamics that I'm just not going to be able to speak to. And I would just say, you go into it committed to saying, um, I'm going to be a godly man and I'm going to honor the women um, as women, whether they want to be honored that way or not, I'm going to. And I'm going to go into a situation where I'm going to be a godly woman and I'm going to respect the men um, as men. 
around and, and we're not gonna just treat each other as interchangeable parts. Um, I think that's where you start and then there's certain biblical guidelines um, that I think you, um, you begin to apply by saying, I'm going to be thoughtful about this, but I would encourage Christians who are in various vocations to talk and communicate and think like, how, you know, how can we work through this faithfully? Um, it's not a problem for you to have a female boss. Um, there are, um, you know, there were many women in, in the Bible who are um, queens and, uh, and masters of, of large estates, and they had many servants under them who obeyed them. Um, so that's not a problem. And so a Christian man should not have a problem taking instructions and orders from his female boss. He should be the best servant, the best employee she's got. Um, but of course, um, there are lines to be drawn. So, you know, Joseph's got a situation with Potiphar's wife and he doesn't obey her in that situation. He runs. Um, so there's, you know, issues of purity and propriety and honesty and truth telling and you know, the Ten Commandments are kind of the, you know, your, your blueprint there. Um, but I would say, um, honor the differences between men and women. Don't um, pretend them away. I think there's practical um, uh, advice I give people in the workplace. There's, you know, the, um, the professional world, because it's so, you know, they, they're trying to press this unisex thing that everybody's an interchangeable part. You know, you end up on a team working with somebody closely and, you know, you might need to ask to be moved because it's just not going to be a good deal for you to be, you know, working really closely with this woman. Um, even if nobody's trying to do anything bad, uh, it's just like the, the world doesn't think in, in any, with any kind of wisdom. Um, or are you going to be going on business trips with some person of the opposite sex regularly? Well, that's probably not a real, that's doesn't sound like a good idea to me. Um, and you're going to have to speak up and just say, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm not going to be able to do this project with this person and probably get in trouble or at least be the weird guy, you know, um, you know, and, and that's, and I think, so I think you need to be thinking about that. And I, I think the, the gravity of, of, uh, relationships, um, in terms of, um, you want to honor, uh, people of the opposite sex, treat them as ladies, treat them as men. And that means that, um, there's necessarily going to have to be a certain amount of distance. Um, you can work together, you can, you can get jobs done, uh, but, you, but because you respect one another, you don't treat each other like interchangeable parts, like you're just buddies. Um, that's not respect, it's not honor, and it's heading for trouble. Um, to, to just close this out, because we're, we're bumping up on our time here real quick, I want, I want just 60 seconds or less, both of you, um, Rachel already kind of stole this closing a little bit, but we have, we have all these cultural pressures and we've been giving in to all these cultural pressures. We don't know how to stand up to, um, uh, to these cultural whims um, because ultimately we aren't in the word. You know, Psalm 119, that word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. Um, because we have not buried the word deep into our heart, we're giving ourselves away to all these cultural pressures. So maybe kind of talk about the relationship between cultural pressures, identity, and, and God's word and reading. And, and part of this is uh, Rachel's been great in our community, um, uh, encouraging um, kind of kicking off the big Bible reading challenges that we've been doing the last year, year and a half now. And, uh, and my family's, my family's benefited from it greatly and it, it's just been a lot of fun. So kind of connected even to the Bible reading challenge. Sure. Join the Bible reading challenge. All of you join us. Uh, it is, 
that is a really exciting thing. It is a, we probably have about 30,000 people who finished reading or are about to finish reading the New Testament together this summer. Um, and then going into the fall, I'm assuming it will grow a lot again because everyone who successfully does it then starts getting all their friends and neighbors and people involved. It's a, it's a great thing. Um, but the thing that we've learned over and over is what an easy time the enemy has had keeping us from the word. And that the goal of the Bible reading challenge has not been to teach the Bible. It's been to try to help people to teach a love of the word, to teach people to, to see the obstacles for what they are and to overcome it. So I don't know uh, how many of you are familiar with the kinds of problems like I'm going to read the whole Bible this year, but I got bogged down in like Exodus. So now I'm going to have to wait all the way until January 1st to start over again, right? That's when I'll come back to this and I'll do it right on that this year. I'll do it right. Um, and it's just dumb things like perfectionism or thinking I don't understand it, that has, or I'm too busy or whatever that has kept us from the word. So I absolutely would encourage you to do that. And then the, the one thing I would say also from Psalm 119, that's all about the word is there's that. Verse it says, I will run after your commands for you will enlarge my heart. And something that I love about that is I'm sure all humans know the feeling that just feels like being stretched too far, like being asked to carry a little too much, or it's a little like, really, Lord, this is just hard. Like, how will I be joyful in this? Or how will I carry this or bear this? Um, and my husband and I have started talking about that, that idea that I'm just stretched thin and this is really hard. Is, is to identify that feeling is don't worry. That's just the feeling of God enlarging your heart. Like, and to continue to think that feeling of Lord, I don't have the capacity for this is to say, no, no, that's my heart being enlarged. That's what that feeling is. And assuming that you continue to run after his commands, you can trust him that that is what's happening, that I will run after your commands for you will enlarge my heart. So do that. <laughs> 60 seconds or less. But, yeah. I, actually, I'll just riff off of something that um, Pastor Hatcher said in his talk, but he was, he was going after all the perfectionists and, and saying, what did you say? Like plan to fail once a day, something like that. Um, since, yeah, yeah, he was talking to perfectionists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have a very special category. I'll talk to you about it later. The rest of you. Now, um, a friend of mine says um, that being a Christian is learning to fail in the right direction. And so, um, or, you know, things worth doing are worth doing badly. But all uh, of sort of similar uh, sentiments. Um, and so my, my thought is just, as you are in this um, stage of life and the calling that God's put on you, whatever that is, wherever it is, um, you, the don't, don't have this romantic ideal of what it is you're supposed to be doing. Um, on the one hand, that's, it's probably false and empty. And on the other hand, it'll probably constantly kick you and hit you over the head for not meeting it. Um, what you want to be is obedient. You just want to be obedient um, today. Just be obedient today. Obey God today. Um, that's your job. That's what walking by faith means. It just means obeying God today. And when you don't, you confess it and you get right with God, and then you get back up and you do it again. That's what failing in the right direction looks like. You know, we're sinners, we're going to sin, we're going to mess up. But take one day at a time, thank God for it, for the life you have, for the air in your lungs, for the job you have to do, for the money in the bank, for the, for the 
you know, sofa you don't have, for the car you don't have, you know, whatever, all the, where you are, thank God for it, and obey him today. Tell the truth today. Um, uh, be pure today. Um, and when you fall down, get back up. You're a Christian. Jesus died for that sin to make you clean again. Get back up and walk in the light again. I'm going to just close with um, you guys. A lot of you guys are in your 20s. And uh, actually, my, my father-in-law, the, the CREC listserv, has been kind of discussing why, what, what, what's the deal with the 40s? Why all of a sudden are people kind of falling away from the faith in the 40s or pastors are stepping down from uh, preaching in the, you know, from the pulpit, from being a pastor in, their, in the age, in their 40s range? You know, a lot of that actually happens because of what you do in your 20s. A lot of that happens because when you get in your 20s and, and, you know, Toby, both Toby and Rachel's kind of hit on this is because I need to work hard just so I can, you know, get into an apartment, just so I can get a car, just so I can get into a house, just so I can do all this. And then what happens is, is God's word gets pushed aside. I I need to work so I can do this. I need, you know, all these, all these physical things start becoming very important because you're trying to, you know, grow as a, a young man or woman, you're trying to provide for yourself. You're trying to finish up college. You're trying to get a job. You're trying to get money to pay your bills, all that stuff. It, it, the real worldly um, needs start coming down the pipe 80 miles an hour in a way they haven't before when you were 19, 17, 18, 19. And so your Bible habits tend to go to the, go to the pit. Your Bible habits tend to go, go to the wayside. And, and so no wonder by the time you're 35, 40 years old, you, you, your heart is small. Your, your, um, your heart has not been enlarged. You have not been hiding the word in your heart. And, and all of a sudden all this fruit starts to pop up and you're, and you don't like what you see. And so you have a midlife crisis. Um, and, and so it just to encourage you guys now to, 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 of course be faithful in what God's put before you, but to double down on, on being a good faithful, uh, uh, church member, double down on reading your word, double down on finding mentors and building good godly relationships in your life, because all that's going to come to seed when you're 40 years old. And, and that's why I think, uh, I think that's why I connected. That's why it's connected to midlife crisis and so forth, because you, you just don't like what you see when you're, when you're 40 years old. So we'll, we'll end there. Um, of course, we'll stick around for a couple more minutes. And, um, uh, and then I think Ben Merkel's up. So is it like a five minute break or something? Okay, okay. <laughs>